We are at uh, Luke 21, 34. Uh, we have just gone through an interesting part of the Olivet Discourse. Um, we are at the 10th point in the Olivet Discourse. And we just got finished with taking a look at the antediluvian, as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And we found that basically it's a reference to the abject lawlessness of the last days, the godlessness of the last days, and that things are going to go from bad to worse. It, said that, it says that in other places, 2 Timothy 3 just being one of them, but things are, are not going to get any better. Now that doesn't mean as Christians we just lay down and give up. I don't think we ever find that anywhere um, in Scripture. We're not supposed to just lay down and and decide this is enough. I know this is in here somewhere. There it is. All right. Slide show here. It's probably not back there yet. Good. I've asked several people to jump up and down if the PowerPoint doesn't come up. I'd hate for you to miss death by PowerPoint, which is what a lot of people call it. But uh, anyway, just to, to keep, the, keep things together, the antediluvian civilization was bad enough God wiped them off the planet. That's what he did. And that's what the scripture says in multiple places. He took out everybody but eight souls, is what he calls it. Noah, his wife, and three sons and their wife. And that's, that's what happened. Out of that, he was a nation builder, built 70 nations out of that and spread them out into all the, the rest of the world. But we've been reading about this, as it was in the days of the Noah, so shall it be. What application should there be to that? Last week, we looked somewhat at the, the generation of Christ's return and what should be involved there. But here we have, we go back into, we looked last week at the, the verses that deal with His coming, being prepared for Christ's coming. Now we're going to look at another verse that actually takes us a little deeper into the preparation. I guess uh, preppers... People that want to hide out in the caves and live for seven years, I guess they just want to have plenty to eat. Well, we need plenty of spiritual stuff to eat because uh, the Lord will take care of that other stuff. I read that in Matthew 6, as best I recall. Uh, why are we going to worry about all those things of life? But Luke 21, 34, it's three verses through here, 34 to 36. And because you've got a long-witted preacher in a short class, we're not going to get through all three verses today. It says be on guard. Okay? It's a so what. It's a how then shall we live. As it was in the days of Noah. Part of the beginning of birth pangs. Part of what's going to get tremendously worse during the tribulation. Prosecco is the word used here. I like studying the Greek because it's a little more concise than the English is. Echo means to have. Pros means in front of your face. Okay? Put it in front of your face. Take a good look at it. Because what are you going to do when you're going to inspect something? What are you going to do if you're going to take a magnifying glass to it? It says, be on your guard. Have it in front of your face. And it's a present tense that says, do this all the time. It's an active that says, you've got to do it. 
You're the one that has to initiate. It's not just going to come to you. There'll be things that'll wake you up. Sent along because God loves us too much to let us sleep through life. There are going to be things that are going to come along and then it's the imperative. So it's not designed as a suggestion. Okay? Be on guard. Have it in front of your face. Make it a priority so that your hearts will not be weighted down. See, we all have to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that. And he says, be on guard. This, by interpretation, I'll make it clear, is for the second advent. This is even applicable to those who find themselves in the trib because they were not, didn't believe in the church age. So people that are reading this, the Jews that will be reading this somewhere during the trib, the 144,000 that get saved and the others that get saved along with them, then guess what? They'll be reading this and what does it be on guard? So that your hearts will not be weighted down. Weighted down is the word bereo. It is a word that, that <laughs> she used in Mark 14.30 of the disciples after the Passover meal in the garden when they should have been praying. You remember that? The Lord said, will you pray with me for a few hours? He knew what was coming. And what happened? Their eyes were weighted down. They went to sleep. That's what the word means. Like eyelids heavy with sleep. Don't be weighted down that way. And then it says, with dissipation. Now, if any of you suffered from dissipation lately, it's kind of like, well, maybe you have and didn't know it, but hopefully not. Dissipation is the word kripale, K-R-A-I-P-A-L, long E. When you see an eight on there, that's an eta that is used in the Greek, and they have more than one E. They have an epsilon. Anyway, I'm not going to give you a Greek class, but that's a long E that's there. Dissipation is a word that means... <laughs> It's actually the word that describes a hangover that comes from being drunk. Okay? One too many. It says don't be weighted down with hangovers. Don't go through your life with a hangover. That's what the word's only used one time. So it's talking about something that has a, a, a physical reality, but a spiritual reality as well. And obviously, if we're not supposed to be weighted down spiritually, we shouldn't be weighted down physically with the same type, same type of thing. Dissipation, that's, it's a hard word to translate, but that's about as good as we're going to get it. And then we have, and uh, drunkenness, okay? This is the act of getting drunk. So it says, don't act like a drunk. Don't be a drunk. It says, and drunkenness, and the worries... In this word, I'm sure you feel like it from time to time, is marimna. This word is used in the parable of the sower. Uh, it's also used in 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, Cast all your marimna on him because it matters to him about you. This is a word that basically means to be drawn and quartered. Have you ever, you know, felt like you got a rope tied to each leg and to each arm and something pulling in all those directions at the same time? Being drawn and, drawn and quartered. 
because that's what, it, uh, that's what the word means. Now, we can call it anxiety, okay? That seems to simplify it a little bit. But he says, I want all of it. And what the warning is here, don't be weighted down by it. See, why are you going to be weighted down by something that you could give to the Lord? That really doesn't make any sense, does it, spiritually? And the worries, as they translate it, of life, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. Now, the word come upon there, that's, that's again, sounds real simple type of thing. It just kind of oozed up on you, but that's not what the word means. The word is ephistami. Hestami means to stand, and epi means upon, to stand upon you. Now, have you ever been stood upon? Where somebody, you know, surely you got a brother or sister decided they're going to stand on you at some point, in, some point in life. Okay, standing up, upon you, that well, that's what it says, stand upon you. It's just like it's going to hit you, knock you down, and step on top of you. And that's what that shall not come upon you, just kind of waters the whole meaning down. Suddenly, which is a word used only twice, 1 Peter 5, 3, it is a word that means sudden, used in 1 Peter 5, 3 of a sudden destruction. Something that just happens. It says that when you see destruction coming, you, if you got your eyes open, and you're on guard, you're going to see it coming. So it's not going to come on you suddenly with no warning. It will be expected like a trap. Now, if we, are, if we stop paying attention to the important things of life, and what are the important things of life? See, 90% of the people don't know what they believe in the doctrinal statements in their churches. 90% of the ones that know what they believe don't know why they believe it. They can't argue for it or defend it. And then the next group of people, and this is according to, to George Barna, the next group of people don't know what's important. They'd rather argue over which type of communion bread to use in communion. And silly things like that. What is really important in this life? When you read the book of Genesis and you read it, it's very clear what the message is. But you know what's important? God made the heavens and the earth. That's the important thing that you have to start with. If you don't get that, rest doesn't make any difference. But the important things of life will be carrying the unnecessary burden stemming from mistakes of the past, which are intoxication. When did we lose it? spiritually the circumstances of life they'll bury us they'll weigh us down so that we're not ready for the master's return that's what will happen if we're not careful then what will happen is everybody in this world has made at least one big mistake and you can count on that at least one big mistake and some people carry it around all their life and it weighs them down and it burdens them down. And yeah, we should learn from that mistake, but it shouldn't drive our life. Feeling guilty, sad, sorry, and everything else that goes along with it. Because I know the guy that took care of it on the cross. When are we going to walk in that grace and newness of life?
Because, see, that big mistake won't keep you out of heaven. It won't, no matter how big it was. Now, if we're not paying attention, we're going to be weighted down. We're going to be weighted down. If we're not paying attention, because what's going to happen in the parable of the sower, I love that parable, because uh, it's four different types of, of believers and what they can do. And that the one part, they survive the initial, for the first seed gets hauled away by Satan and his angels, okay? Then the next one is the little believer that's so happy. They get saved, and they are just bubbly. And then pressure hits. The sun comes up. And what happens? They wilt. Okay? That's, that's frequent. But what about the third kind of believer? This is the one that endures the sun and everything else. But then the weeds and the vines take over. Which is the pressures and the worries of life. Take them over and do what? They weigh them down. I have a series of vines in our backyard. I knew they would be valuable for something at one point in time. And it just came to me as an illustration of what, what happens. Because these vines decided they were going to eat the house. <laughs> you probably know the ones that we have. And these vines will go anywhere and everywhere and consume all of the other plants. And you pull them out and you put them in barrels and you haul them off and you have to dig them up. But my back doesn't feel like digging them up. So I'm going to keep pulling them out as best I can. Those things will eat everything if you let them. You know what you have to do with vines and weeds? Keep pulling them. Now I'm a one and done guy. <laughs> I want to take them out and they're forever gone. But... Uh, most of you know the battle I've had with the holly bush. Over the last 25 years, we've lived at that house. And it's back. <laughs> we're going to have to get somebody to cut that out. If we're not paying attention, I went out the other day and we had a, a generac put in the backyard. And the vines were going into the generac. And I was not happy. Those vines are there. And I pulled them all out a few days ago, and guess where they are now? They're back. That's what vines do. It's just like the worries of life, right? We get a little grip on it for a little bit of time, and the next thing you know, here they are. If we're not careful. If we're not paying attention, we'll be weighted down financially. It, this word is used to be weighted down to be a financial burden. 1 Timothy 5, 16. If any woman is a believer is dependent widow, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened. So that it may assist those who are widows indeed. It's saying that there needs to be some priorities given from time to time. And as widows need help, take care of them. That's what the church says. But it also says in the early part of 1 uh, Timothy 5, the family's first responsibility is to take care of mom. That's what it should be. But it can happen. We get weighted down if we're not paying attention, weighted down financially, weighted down emotionally. Paul writes the Corinthian church. You know, he wrote four letters. We just got two. I mean, one of these days, we get to heaven, I'm going to say, what was those other two? And maybe we'll find out. Paul writes... 
to tell them that the person they threw out of church in 1 Corinthians 5 has shown sufficient contrition. They need to let him back in so as to not to burden them excessively. We do not want you to be aware, brethren, of our affliction that came to us in Asia. Ah, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. He was talking about restoring that, that group that had gotten their uh, self straightened out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he's telling them about who he is. This is the chapter where he says, the God of all comfort. And you are comforted by God so you can be a comfort to other people. That's, that's the chapter that it's in. And he's saying that we were giving the gospel in Asia. And he said, we were burdened excessively. By these things. Now, believers, what are we called to do? Encourage one another. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. That's what we're called to do. Help each other out as we face these various burdens. But if, if we are not paying attention, paying attention to the important things, which is studying the Word, praying with the Lord, worshiping Him, we know what they are. We're not doing those things. Next thing you know, we're going to be eaten by the weeds and the vines. That's exactly what's going to happen. Now, spiritual burdens are permissible. Do you, do you remember reading the prophets in the Old Testament? The burden of this prophet? Yeah, it was a burden because God said, this is going to happen to the nation and you've got to carry the message. And it's called the burden because it was a spiritual burden burden that he had for other people to be burdened for other people Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down we have a building from God a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens now uh, Joan is actually going through that now she's not doing well just got a note at the, at the break she's not doing well blood pressure's down at 70 over 40 and so, um, you know, they're making her comfortable. She developed a pneumonia yesterday. So, you guys keep her in prayer because she's not doing well. But she has a good uh, attitude because she knows this verse and lives it. We have another house in the heavens. He says, indeed in this house we groan. Right? Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as having put it on, we won't be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. So what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Paul C. Rader, well, he just written 1 Corinthians 15. About this mortal must put on immortality and this corruptible must put on incorruptibility. But we, we, if we're not paying attention, we're going to be weighted down. We're going to be drugged down. What does Hebrews 12 say? Laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us. Right? Laying aside these burdens. Run with endurance. The race set in front of us. These things are characteristics of being taken out of the race. We're in a race... Paul uses the athletic analogy more than once. 1 Corinthians 9, if you're a boxing match, you don't beat the air. 
Okay? If you're running, you run to win. In Christianity, we run against Satan and his forces. We don't run against other Christians. We run, though, to win. What do you, you want to get taken out of the race? I, I don't think, I don't think uh, marathon runners start the race with a hangover. Spiritual hangovers, where we're hauling stuff around we don't need to haul around. Spiritual drunkenness. What's, what is spiritual drunkenness? When you're intoxicated by false doctrines. When these things that are legalisms get, get so emblazoned in your soul, you become spiritually drunk. And there's often time, there's mysticism oftentimes gets involved in some of these things. The, um, uh, we know a lot of, of uh, believers in other parts of the world, and they, they get so um, wound up in their incense and their rituals and all this other stuff. They think the rituals become the reality and uh, spiritual drunkenness and the worries of life. That'll take us out of the race. Now, if we're not on guard, hangovers are going to occur. They can occur through physical addiction, Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine. That's about as clear as it gets. For that is dissipation. <laughs> what happens after the drunk with wine? Hangover. But be filled with the Spirit. And I believe that's be filled by the Spirit. Fill up to all the fullness of God like he talked about in the third chapter, in the last part of the third chapter. Being filled by the Spirit to all the fullness of God. What's that going to fill you with? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it's going to fill you with. If we're not on guard, they're gonna, hangovers will occur through failing to forgive either yourself or other people. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. It's amazing how long grudges can be carried. Absolutely amazing. I know some within my own family, they went on for decades between sisters and they wouldn't even talk to each other anymore. And that's a, that's a burden. That is a weight that doesn't need to be done. And it's interesting that sometimes the forgiveness that is not done is over a perceived wrong and not a real one. That's how bad bitterness. See to it is a command given to the assembly that no root of bitterness springs up because it's going to hurt a lot of people in the process. And when we keep our eyes on the past... Philippians 3. Philippians 3.12. Paul's talking about maturity. That's why I kind of get scared. I hope about people that proclaim their own maturity. This verse. Is, makes me careful. Hopefully I'm mature. But if I'm mature. It'll be noticeable by others. If I start promoting my own maturity. And trying to convince you that I am mature. <laughs> and I'm probably not mature. <laughs> That's the way it works. Now, where does this come from? Philippians 3 says, Not that I've already attained it or already become perfect. Perfect is the word teleos, which means ripe or mature. 
Okay? This is the Apostle Paul. Think about this. Philippians 62 AD, near the end of his epistles. He's already written uh, probably a dozen of them by this time. And Paul is probably the greatest theologian that ever lived. He understood the Old Testament. He understood how it fit into the New Testament. He understood the way things fit together, how the puzzle all came together. Here is Paul. And what does Paul say about maturity? Not that I've already obtained it. Now, if Paul has a problem declaring himself mature, then maybe we should too. <laughs> or have already become perfect. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, isn't that, isn't that so simple? It's in the past, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Isn't that a simple philosophy of life? I can't fix the past. I can learn from it. I don't need to dwell in it. I need to move on. I press on, he says, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, that's what a mature... That's, that's a display of his maturity. But he didn't claim it for himself. Wouldn't you rather have the Lord do it with a well-done, good and faithful servant? If we're not on guard, <clears throat> spiritual intoxication will occur, resulting in... A failure to put on the armor of light and thus be involved in the deeds of darkness. I find it interesting that as believers we are changed. You can, we are a new creation. The Holy Spirit is in us. We've been sealed. There is, there is a new birth that we have undergone. But we have to grow up. We're still dragging this sin nature around that Paul wrote about in Romans 6 and 7. This thing is a mess inside of us. Why do I do what I don't want to do? Why do I, Paul, who wants to do good, not do good? <laughs> I mean, he said, I got a problem. And he said, it's the sin inside of me. He identifies what the problem is. And sometimes he loses the battle with it. And then he says in Romans 13, Do this knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night's almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, love those, that word, therefore. Let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing. Carousing is, uh, it used to be used to describe fraternity parties in ancient Greece. They still practice it today because this carousing word is when they used to march down the streets singing songs and drinking alcohol. And it never happens anymore, I know. But it uh, actually does. Now they call them parades, some of them. Anyway, <coughs> not in 
carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. It's the power of sin that we do battle with. And if we're not on guard, it's going to, spiritual intoxication is going to occur. And it's going to result in no fruit of the Spirit. And we go to Galatians 5. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Okay? Who's Paul writing to? Believers? Yeah, establish that in Galatians 1. We read that verse today about if they come to you with a different gospel. It's not a really a, a different gospel. It's a gospel of works. And then he's talking about in chapter 5, freedom, that he set us free. And then he says, Galatians 5. You, we've had, how many verses have we hit in Galatians 5 today? If you bite and devour one another, you're going to be consumed by one another. Duck challenging one another, envying one another. That occurs right after these verses. He says the deeds of the flesh are evident. Which are immorality. That's our pornea word. Immorality, impurity... That's a ceremonial uncleanness, if you will. I think that's when you try to take a ceremony and turn it into a reality. Because ceremonies just portray things. They're not the reality. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. That's the word pharmakia. It's only used three or four times. And it's interesting they translated it sorcery because in the ancient world, the drug dealers were the sorcerers. That's the way they manipulated people was through their drugs. And so this bird is translated best drug abuse instead of sorcery because that's what, what is behind it. And it says uh, uh, enmity, strife. These are overt and covert politics when you're playing a game behind the scenes or when you're right out in the open with being a, a politician. And don't get me wrong, there are some people called politicians that are good Christian people trying to live a life of character. There are some, we know some. So there are those that are involved in that that are really trying to be used of God to make a difference. And we need to pray for people like that. Uh, <clears throat> it says dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, there it pops up again. And things like these. <laughs> Paul said, I listed all these things, but that's not all. Of which I forewarn you, just as I did forewarn you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're going to miss out on an inheritance that would otherwise be theirs. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. If we're not on guard. See, what does this verse say? How do you live in this last generation? You have to be alert. You have to be spiritually awake. I can pull in verse after verse after verse. First Thessalonians 5. Read that one. Because it talks about being spiritually asleep in the last days. That's not the way we want to be. Spiritually asleep says that there are things going on that you're not paying any attention to. I got a note from Sri Lanka. And the Sri Lankan Methodist Church had taken a stand in a position against the Methodist Church who had just decided to ordain gay men as pastors. And the Sri, Sri Lankan Methodist Church said, we're not going to be a part of that. They'll probably be 
leaving the denomination before it's over. We dealt with a group, we didn't deal with them. What we did was minister to a group in the Republic of Georgia that uh, was facing the same thing. One of their people went to Oxford and got educated in theology and came back with all the, uh, the, the garbage that's going around, the, the homosexuality and everything else that went on, and was trying to install that. They didn't believe that the Bible's the inspired Word of God anymore. We made a trip to talk to uh, several pastors under one bishop that was leading the rebellion. He said, no, we're not going to buy this. We're not going to change the bylaws. This is what our doctrinal statement says. And this is what we're going to stand by. And some of them, the pastors, didn't know why they believed what was written there. And they said, can you come show us why? So we said, sure. And we went over there and had a week's uh, messages with them. This is why we believe what we believe. And you can find it in that book on the back table. That's basically what we taught. What, why do we believe what we believe? But it's what happened. Three out of the four bishops, three of those bishops got carried away by those teachings. They became spiritually intoxicated by all this new knowledge. They walked away from the faith, became spiritually drunk. And one group was saying, we're not going there. We're all going to face battles like that if the Lord tarries. Let's be ready. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your mercy and grace and love. Thank you for all your, your goodness to us. Thank you for your long-suffering, your patience. And we do thank you for the blessed assurance that we have that not just Jesus is mine, but I am Jesus's. We thank you for that. Let us always give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.